Welcome to Intentional Teaching, a podcast aimed at educators to help them develop foundational teaching skills and explore new ideas in teaching. I'm your host, Derek Breff. I hope this podcast helps you be more intentional in how you teach and in how you develop as a teacher over time. You are probably familiar with the standard model for teaching introductory college science courses like physics or chemistry or biology. There's a lecture portion, which usually meets in a big classroom two or three times a week, along with a lab portion, which meets in a dedicated lab space, usually once a week for three or four hours. This model has a long history, but it also has some downsides, particularly if the lecture and lab portions aren't well coordinated. On today's podcast, I'm happy to share a roundtable discussion with three faculty who teach introductory biology courses using a very different model. All three teach what is called studio-style biology, where the lecture and lab portions are not just coordinated, but actually integrated into the same time and space. The course might meet two hours at a shot, three times a week, with each class session featuring a mix of mini-lectures and wet lab activities. My guests are Scott Cheerhart, Professor and Chair of Biology at Centenary College, Robbie Baer, Senior Instructor in Biology at Kansas State University, and Justin Schaffer, Teaching Associate Professor in Chemical and Biological Engineering at the Colorado School of Mines. Their approaches to studio-style biology are all a little different, and I was glad I could get all three of them on together to compare and contrast their courses. What follows will be especially interesting to any biology educators in my audience, But I think anyone interested in how a department can put together an introductory course with lots of moving pieces and a strong emphasis on active learning will get something out of this conversation. Thank you, Justin, Robbie, and Scott for being on Intentional Teaching. I'm excited to have a conversation with you all about studio-style biology instruction. As a mathematician, this is a a little bit new territory for me, um, but I'm looking forward to learning from you guys and hearing about the different ways that you've implemented this at your different institutions. And let's start pretty concrete. Uh, So what might a typical class session in a studio-style biology course look like? And maybe also what would students do before, during, and after class? Because that might be relevant. Sure. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to hear some different flavors of this answer from Robbie and Scott too, but um, at, at Minds for biology and studio format, we, we really follow the um, overarching goal of what's called a high structure course design. So that's where we're going to have students get prepared before class with pre-class content acquisition via either reading or video watching plus pre-class assessment. Uh, in class, a bunch of active learning exercises, activities, and I'll expand on that in a moment. And then after class, uh, a review type of assignments, homework quizzes on the weekly basis, and then frequent summative exams. Um, we've actually ditched midterm, the midterm model. We just do weekly quizzes now, so, so it's briefer, um, more more focused assessments on a weekly basis. Um, so that high structure course design model can apply to any courses, and indeed, I use that in my A and P course. I use it in my chemical engineering courses too. Um, but with biology, what makes it a little bit different is with the studio format is we're trying to combine some of the laboratory elements with the lesson elements with the activity elements in the same classroom. 
So we have this unique room um, that was built eh, maybe 15-ish, 20 years ago or so at Mines, where it's kind of this L-shaped room. And there's these groups of um, the seating is really unique because it's um, pods of nine. And then each pod, it's kind of like a triangle or coming out from the middle, you know, like a star shape. And you have um, a group of three on each end. So there's three groups of three and they're connecting this bigger group of nine. And each group of three has their own computer screen, their own laptop. They can use the computer there. They have a sink. They have lab equipment there. They have their pipettes, everything. And it's arranged around this room in this L shape. So this room makes it conducive for both lessons, although it's a little difficult. So uh, with the L shape, because you can't see everyone at the same time. So I got one of the catch box microphones to help with that, even just to hear everybody, you know, toss that around the room. Um, but then that also facilitates the lab work as well as the uh, any type of worksheet or activity work we call explorations. They're not a full-fledged full fledged lab, but they're more hands-on um, activities and components like that. And, and I need to give a lot of credit here too to my uh, co-instructors on this, Josh Ramey, Nikki Farr, and Susie Beeler, who, uh, especially Josh, he was here before I was at Mines and really helped pilot this method um, and, and get this kind of program off the ground. Um, but it, it really, again, combines these elements, makes it active all around, um, whether it's lab work, lesson, clickers, activities, or kind of exploration type worksheets. Thanks. Robbie, how does that compare to what your studio style biology course looks like? Uh, actually, quite similar. Uh, we have pre-class exercises that they do, readings, quizzes, all that stuff. Um, they come in the classroom. Um, we do a short little introductory lecture uh, to what they're doing for the day. And then we built and have a studio manual. That's like 400 and some pages. Oh, wow. There it is. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's probably going to be an OER here soon. But anyways, Um and so the students, once they come in the classroom, they have wet lab exercises, and we've spent the last couple of years building our own computer material. So our own tutorials with our own animations and all that stuff um, using a program called Articulate, which is a human resource program that then um, has an interface similar to PowerPoint. So you can go in and build pages that way that exported HTML. So we can do gated questions, drop and drag, all those types of little interactive activities that they can do on a computer. Um, and then you know, post-class, uh, what we tell them to do is we have learning objectives at the start of each class for them to go sit down and write out a paragraph about each one of those, have their peers look it over, have instructors look it over, have some follow-up on that, um, self-assessment. Um, and then at the end of each module, uh, which is four classes, we have a capstone activity that they do um, on the computer, which is watching a video um, and then answer some questions associated with that and the overarching concepts within a module as a whole. Um, and of course, within a class at the end of the class period, um, there is a wrap up lecture to go over the data collected, you know, um, answer any questions. Um, I will do formative assessment in class with fake or facts, um, having students reply to discussion boards with the statement it's fake or fact and why. And it's a great opportunity to sit down and while they're working real quick, read over what they're writing and get an, a, an assessment of how they're understanding the bigger concept or idea. Um, so lots and lots of assessment built into it to ensure that they're learning. Yeah. Scott, what about at Centenary? 
Um, it's similar in some regards. Our classrooms are relatively small because we're a small liberal arts college. And so we have six tables that are kind of a half moon shape. And so there's four at each table. And, you know, everybody kind of has their own setup with microscope, digital cameras, you know, computers, etc. Uh, we actually don't do too much in terms of pre-lecture material. Uh, we meet twice a week for about a three-hour period with some breaks, you know, in between for bathroom breaks. But we do lecture and lab together. So we'll, we try to lecture no more than 15, 20 minutes and then do some hands-on activity. So, you know, we just went through kind of internal transport with plants yesterday, as a matter of fact. And so we talked about that for about 20 minutes. And then we set up this transpiration labs where students guided, you know, what hypotheses they wanted, what variables they wanted to test, whether it was wind or heat, light or dark. Um, we performed the experiment. And then while the experiment was running, you know, we, we kept continuing the lecture. We came back, we analyzed it, we ran some statistics. And uh, there are videos of every lecture that basically came out of the pandemic. It was something that probably the one good thing that came out of the pandemic is we did have recorded lectures. Uh, so it does allow the students to go back and see things they may have missed. Um, we do have weekly quizzes. Uh, we don't have midterms, but we do have exams probably every four or five periods uh, throughout it as well. Okay. Now, um, again, mathematician here, um, haven't taken biology since 10th grade. Um, I also know the studio style, at least that name, I think comes from the world of physics where they started combining lectures and labs together. I can imagine a physics lab in a classroom, right? With, you know, enough kind of space around the tables to drop some things and maybe turn on some circuits. But, um, you guys have talked about, uh, pipetting and something about transpiration. I think I got that word. Um, I think of a, a biology lab as I think what you call a wet lab. So tell me more about that. What does it look like to do a lab in a classroom? Um, I will, I will say like our ecology stuff is computerized and models and everything like that. But you know, when we get the cell biology, the microscopes are out they're making slides and doing all that stuff. The samples are in the back of the room. They go back, make their slides, take it back to their table because there's four students at each table. Um, and when we're doing tests for biological molecules, you know, they're going back and doing Benedict's tests. They're doing iodine tests. They're doing all that stuff. Um, running uh, enzymatic assays, they do that. Um, so all this general lab stuff, we make it happen, you know. Um, even transpiration, you know, we have demos set up for them to work on that. Um, respiration of, of organisms, you know, we make little respirometers and bromothamyl blue and put beetles in there and close it up and let them respire, you know, and just all that, you know, everything. We, we, we all those little exercises and make it happen. Um, you know, we have 80 students in our classroom to teaching faculty, graduate student or two, and then practicums, which are undergrad teaching assistants that come back and help mm. teach the class all in there working with the students and moving around and um, making sure they learn. I'll say at least, you know, when I was doing my, my doctoral uh, teaching at Texas A&M, it was very different in terms of how the labs were set up. But uh, with this here, you know, even though it's studio format, I, you know, we haven't lost any of the wet labs. Again, yesterday we did plants, but then we got to animals. We're doing dissections on the table. 
And so every group of four is doing their dissections through their earthworm, through their grasshopper, through their rat, um, all the things that, you know, were prior said, you know, in our first semester of introductory biology, we're going through all the indicator solutions, the Benedict's test, the Biorets, all those at the table. Uh, so, you know, wet labs aren't, you know, really lost, you know, because of the studio format. I think it just makes it sm smaller and much more, you know, together and much more collaborative um, rather than having a professor in the front demo it, and then everybody does it or one person does it. And I think it's much more interactive that way. Yeah, and we're in the same boat for sure. So for our, the Bio 1 course that I teach, which is mostly uh, molecule cells, uh, genetics, uh, we do a lot of molecular experiments. So we do recombinant uh, plasmid work, restriction enzyme analysis, agarose electrophoresis, typical things like that. We also have introduced CRISPR in recently years in a lab. And uh, we also try to model drug delivery via hydrogel uh, generation and preparation and um, drug release um, uh, kinetics. But again, it's the, the flexibility of being in that space where you have the time to both do the some lesson introduction, like you were saying, Scott, plus the um, actual lab work and kind of switch back and forth. So, or even these activities we have, we have this one where it's like protein folding. It's these like kind of squ uh, squ uh, long tubes that are squishy and you can bend them up and put little amino acids on it to model a protein folding structure or just doing uh, some microscope work. Thank you. That's you still use a lot of words I don't entirely understand, but I, I do. <laughs> that, that does paint a, a better picture of, of, you know, what I think of as a biology lab, but, but in a classroom space. But it, I think you're also anticipating my next question, which is what value do you see in this approach over kind of more traditional separated lab, lab and lecture structures? Can you speak a little bit to that? What, what does this allow you to do that, that maybe is harder to do in a more traditional lab setting? I'll jump in. I'll say at least for me, uh, when I, I taught labs at A&M, one of the biggest complaints with the students was they didn't see the connection. You know, they're, they're someplace in lecture, but they're doing something different in lab. And then maybe they get to it two weeks later in lecture. And um, at least here, you know, as the professor, we're doing both the lecture and lab together. So we can make them see the connection. We can make them see the significance. We can make them see the relevance to it. Uh, and then not only do that, but relate it and build upon it throughout the semester. And so uh, I think it really provides kind of that, you know, foundational work of thinking like a scientist. And, you know, you think about a question and designing a, an experiment to do it and then them seeing the results and, you know, in smaller you know, pieces. And so I, I think at least for me, I think it allows the students to understand why they're doing something and why it's important and what the relevance is and let them come up with their own conclusions uh, and things of that nature. I'll go next. <laughs> um, so when I was an undergrad, you know, um, and, and my undergrad advisor will probably attest to this, um, I would ask, ask often, so why do we have one place lecture and we go to a lab and do something totally different? Um, there was no connection. And I kept asking why. And he was like, that's the way we do it. Um, Cause that's the way we do it. And I was like, why? Um, and um, you know, so I bought into that, you know, it became theory in one location and application in a different, you know, and when I got to the community college, I got my own classes and stuff like that. I continued that. And I, I, talked about that as being an important way of teaching and everything like that. And um, one of my bosses at the community college, the vice president of the campus was like, so why don't you do it together? You know, why don't you teach these together? And I was like, oh, that's a fantastic idea. And all those ideas when I was younger popped back in my head. 
And um, so I was starting to think about that at the community college I was at um, and trying to figure out how to do it. But, you know, 18 years ago, um, I met folks here at K-State who were doing it. They were coming out of a um, audio tutorial course. Oh, right. I read about that. That's People were putting headphones on. Very 1980s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very 80s. Um, <laughs> and so 97. Um, they, they were listening to the lectures on yeah. like cassette tapes or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, I talked to, you know, former alumni are like, yeah, we used to sit there and then, you know, press the play button and fall asleep and then wake up and, you know, little clicker was at 350 instead of three, you know, and anyways. Um, and so they got a grant here at K-State to move to a studio model. Um, and so I came in about six years after they started it and then been able to contribute to it since then. It was like a perfect fit. It would just pop right up and there it was. And, you know, it's just, I've loved every minute of it. <laughs> Yeah. How about you, Justin? What what's what's the value in the studio model as you see it? Yeah. So again, the connection piece is really strong there. Um, being able to have the control over both parts, the lecture and the lab, and kind of seamlessly work them together. Um, also, we have a lot of support in this course. I'm not sure if Robbie and Scott, you have the same, but we have TA graduate student, usually graduate student TA, but sometimes undergrad. Usually, we have myself plus three TAs for a group of 60. So it's about one to 15. And that really helps facilitate that mm -hmm. learning environment, whether it's more lesson based or the, the lab based activities. Um, however, and I don't want to come off as saying I don't, uh, I'm not a strong proponent of studio model. I do think there's a lot of benefits, but I'm not completely sold on the studio model as being the way to go for intro bio. Um, here's why. So I've taught intro bio at four different universities, four different models for lab. Some, we didn't even have a lab. Some, it was, you know, this person ran the lab, this person ran the lecture, completely uncoordinated. Some were more uncoordinated. Now at mines, I do both. Um, but like I started off saying at the beginning, I think it's this high structure course design and really being carefully, having a course carefully designed is what's important. And so we've actually experimented now the last, this is our third semester, we've kind of switched away from using this classroom. I mentioned this L-shaped classroom that holds 60 students. We were doing it two hours a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, two hour blocks. And we're now switched to what you might call a more traditional three hours in one lab session a week, like on a Tuesday, and then you have Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 50 minutes. I still do both. I still teach both sections. Um, and so I still am able to make sure everything really controls well. But the reason we made the switch, one was sometimes the two hours isn't enough for the labs um, when we do need a little bit more time and students felt really rushed. Also, the room that I mentioned, due to our specific structure in terms of the facilities, it's not the best for the lesson delivery at times. So we're trying this out a little bit and collecting data along the way. And um, we're, we're seeing, seeing some positive uh, results in terms of either equal, if not greater, student learning as well as student affect. They seem to like this model a little bit more. It feels a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more. And they, they also feel, they say it feels a little bit more organized in their minds because they know what's happening here and they know what's happening here, but they still see the connection between the two. Um, but in the biology space, we're just going to take advantage of that laboratory space for those types of things that we can't easily do in a traditional classroom. Uh, but as long as you have that connection between the two, I think it can work seamlessly. We might go back to the more, you know, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, two-hour model um, after we evaluate our data here after the spring. Um, but it's it's been interesting to see the how the two models, and I've, I've been happy in both scenarios. So um, we'll just let the data play out and see what happens. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'm reminded that, you know, 
most colleges and universities assign classroom space not based on pedagogical strategies, right? So what I'm hearing from your kind of back to the basics model is you have a space for uh, lecture and instruction, and then you have another space for lab and activities. Um, and what I like about that is you're being targeted about how you use those spaces, right? You're doing the thing in the room that the room is supposed to be doing. Um, and, uh, but I think that's true of the studio style as well, right? The idea is that you've got a physical space that supports these types of interactions that you're trying to create. Um, and I would imagine it would be next to impossible to do this in a traditional classroom for all three of you. Yeah, I'm seeing nodding heads. What, <laughs> let's say a little bit more about the space itself. What, um, I'm wondering, are there affordances in the spaces where you teach these courses that you think are, are maybe more important to the ways that you're teaching them? Uh, I'll start there uh, this time. Um, so our room, it, it, the way it's designed again with the the benches, um, they're not, you know, rectangle benches. They're these kind of spokes on a wheel pod type style. So the students are really able to sit together on their little end with three students per, and then they have a larger group of nine to work with. So the space really facilitates the instruction. They have their own computer that they can work on that facilitates stuff. Cause a lot of our work is computational as well to support the, you know, the wet lab data collection. And so that just giving them, that little space there is really helpful versus uh, I've had an anatomy lab at my past university was more the long benches style and you just kind of sit three or four to the side of the bench and you couldn't really lean over together and work so the room was thoughtfully put together so that you'd have on kind of this end a rectangle um, three of the sides are the three chairs and then the fourth side is the screen and the uh, the sink so they can really look together on a common space and that really facilitates the uh, again lab work and data collection and the sense of community because they're always they're looking at each other they're not looking ahead at the board together you know, they're actually looking at each other all the time in this space, uh, which helps them work together well. But then they work in these same groups in the lesson type as well, you know. So they're, they're carrying this um, uh, group work over, whether it's a lab activity, uh, uh, experiment, or a more traditional lesson with clickers and other type of group work. Yeah, I'll, I'll follow up and say it's extremely important, the design of the room and teaching this way. Um, we do the not the, the science majors in our main room that's got, you know, four students to each bench and everything like that. And um, <laughs> right when the pandemic hit, um, I started a non-science majors studio um, uh, biology. And the only room I could get had the long rectangular benches for them to sit at all facing forward, you know, um, and getting them to work in groups bigger than just a pair of them is very difficult because of the way the room is set up. And so often what ends up happening is they're working in little pairs um, instead of groups of fours or sixes or whatever. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's more difficult to, to do it in that room where you have the long benches instead of the uh, little pods that they can work in as groups. So the setup of the room in that sense is extremely important. Yeah, I'll just reiterate both what, you know, Justin and Ravi said, you know, the, the half moon shape, as I said, that we have, you know, gets them facing each other, builds that sense of community. Um, our actual introductory biology sections, both the first and second semester, include both majors and non-majors. So it's good because they get a mixture of both. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, the second semester, not many non-majors take. Some of them do uh, that found an interest in biology, but particularly that first one. Uh, building that sense of community, as I said, because they actually end up doing a semester-long project together. 
Uh, so that's something that, again, in a traditional setting, they may not, you know, have that collaboration. Um, there are some hindrances to it, at least the way it's set up with ours. You know, I don't know, you know, particularly for Justin's tables or, you know, what Robbie has, uh, there is limited space. Um, so, you know, on those tables, if I have uh, the, the microscope with the digital camera and the computer and then something else, it's tight. It's tight with those four people around that table. And so I find myself a lot of times having to have things on side tables and shuffle. Mm -hmm. And um, Justin, I, I'd love to say that we have lots of lab help, lab help, but it's the professors that are doing the prep. <laughs> uh, we do have some student workers that clean some dishes and sometimes pull stuff out for us. But yeah, we're kind of putting things all over the room when we have to kind of shift things in and out. So it's good. But there are some hindrances to it as well, depending on what you're trying to structure. You know, I think what Justin, Justin said about having a, a highly structured class that can be successful, you know, however you implement it, I agree. Um, and we don't teach the studio format past intro bio because we think that we need more pedagogical time to focus in on concepts for higher level learning in some of those uh, classes like advanced cell or comparative anatomy. Uh, just not enough time, as Justin said, felt rushed. Um, so again, the students get a mixture of it by the time they end up graduating from here. Let me do a quick lightning round. Um, <laughs> so first, uh, some of you have mentioned some of this and some of you haven't. Justin, how many students and what's your normal group size? Yes. So we have, uh, the lab space is a max of uh, 63, um, the way okay. it works. So, uh, and the groups are three each. So we have 21 groups of three max. Gotcha. On that kind of star configuration table. Great. Robbie. Yeah. Total students and typical group size. 80 and four. 80 and four. Okay. So 20 tables. Gotcha. And Scott. Six tables of four. So max of 24. Now we have multiple sessions running, um, you know, but yeah, they, they, they've capped off at 24. In the room at one time is a, a max of 24. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Robbie, you showed us a giant studio manual, not, not a lab manual, a studio manual. Uh, yeah. So we, when OpenStax put together their series of books, we adopted it very early, very quickly. Okay. Those um, are open educational textbooks. Open education right? resource. Uh, we jumped yeah. on that really fast because um, the way we go through the course, you're having him read, like, read this chapter, read chapter three, only section 2.2 and, you know, all that stuff. And it was very confusing. And so we were able to take that OpenStax resource and model it to what we teach in the order we teach it in. So every class became a chapter in our e-text and we built that. Um, once uh, OpenStax started changing their format of doing the editing and stuff, we basically just took everything. And um, now we're going to start publishing through our uh, publisher in our library here. Um, so we're going to take all that and dump it in there and, and go that particular route. Um, and so, you know, the advantages of having your own e-text and being able to, to do that is just fantastic because you can hone it to what you're doing, hmm. um, customize it exactly to what you're doing. Um, the studio manual, you know, that grew out of the audio tutorial course and then we've just been building and adding to it over over um, the years, um, um, and then you know that's this, which is pr you know printed, um, and cost of printing is going up, etc. So we may be going to a more of a digital format with that. 
Um, Justin, what about your curriculum? We currently have, um, you're using OpenStax uh, biology like uh, Robbie's using. and But like Robbie said too, sometimes it doesn't have everything you need or it's in the wrong order. So that's why we, we um, use reading guides for our students as well. So these are just Word documents that I put together that ask students a series of questions um, as they're reading. So they make them more active readers, uh, has tables to fill out, drawings to make, things like that. And I published on this a few years ago in CB showing their efficacy in intro bio where mm. students that the more often you do them before class, the better you do on exams. And I share that day with my students too to convince them to do them because these are just optional study aids really, but they do bring a lot of bang for the buck if students work on them. So it helps take that, you know, larger tome of the textbook and condense it down a bit into what's really important. It helps me a little helps us be a little bit more transparent in what we want our students to know. Um, as far as the lab, though, we um, have a mix of things. Some are totally homegrown labs. Um, Nikki Farnsworth, I mentioned, she developed a lab on uh, hydrogels and drug delivery, so based on her own research, so we do that one. Um, Josh and I have co- cobbled together one on uh, recombinant DNA and plasmid preparation, looking at um, fluorescent bacteria and how it's changing the um, restriction digest patterns can lead to different outcomes. And then we also rely on some... Um, publisher resources. Uh, BioRad, for example, has some great kind of ready-to-go labs. We do one, uh, we modified one from their CRISPR lab and one from their uh, PCR for genetically modified organisms. So um, we're kind of grabbing a few different places, but I really like Robbie's idea to have your own kind of manual in-house to make this a little bit more uh, self-contained uh, because we're, every every time we teach, every semester, we got to, you know, tweak things a little bit, put it all together, but uh, maybe at some point we'll get to a point where we're happy enough to do what you're doing, Robbie. That sounds really cool. <laughs> It's a lot of work. Well, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the students for a minute. Well, I guess a couple of questions. What do you tell your students about how to learn and succeed in this course? And how do students respond to this format? Um, that may change over the semester as they get used to it. But, but what, do you, what, do you, what advice do you give to students and how do they respond to this, this class? I mean, I'll start, I can say one thing is they're a little hesitant at first because it's something kind of new, something they're not used to also being that close together in a group. Um, not, they're not necessarily used to that either. Uh, but I will say that once they finish the freshman cycle and then they have to go to the upper level labs, they miss it. And so they're like, oh, can we have other courses like this? We have to explain them. The labs are a little bit more intense. We're trying to get different objectives. Um, I will say at least what I tell them in the very first semester is we're trying to teach them how not only to be able to be good students, but good scientists and like, you know, trying to train the idea of the scientific method, having them design the experiments. And as I alluded to before, you know, they do a semester long project, but kind of gearing them up to have the tools for that. And, you know, I also told them we're, we're trying to get them to kind of study and think in small pieces, you know, rather than having like, Uh, You know, as Justin said, like a midterm or something, you know, we're trying to do, at least in the first semester, a quiz every day. So they're trying to digest it and understand it before we move on. And Mm. then we start to space that out in the second semester. It's a quiz every three or four days. And then, you know, as we get to some of the upper levels, it is some of those traditional midterms. So we're teaching them how to study, how to kind of be students, how to be scientists, how to think and get laboratory Mm. skills and as I said, overall, very, very positive. The only thing they don't like is it ends after their freshman year. <laughs> That's good feedback, though. Very similar. Um, you know, initially, the students are pretty hesitant about what's going on. Um, but what ends up happening is there's a good chunk of students 
probably a third or more that just absolutely fall in love with it. think it's the cat's meow. And of course, often that's the higher achieving students as well. Um, a lot of motivation there. There's half the group are like, eh, it's college. And then there's, <laughs> then there's the squeaky wheels um, that we have at the other end, which is, you know, I have to teach myself, um, even though, you know, the student teacher ratio is one to 20. Um, but, you know, often what I'm telling them is, is we're putting learning onto you as an individual. And it's one of the key things they need to do is learn how to learn. Um, and doing it on their own. And I, you know, I, I tell them, you know, walk up to them and say, you know, when you get a job, they're going to hand you a manual and say, do some work. They're not <laughs> right. lecture to you about how to do it. You know, you're going to have to figure this stuff out and understand it, you know, pull all these ideas together and synthesize and understand and analyze whether or not you did it correctly. And I said, that's what we're going to teach you. Hmm. Um, and so therefore we get a good bit of buy-in and, you know, those are the students that just, you know, knock out of the ballpark and come back and help teach the course. Um, you know, and then there's those squeaky wheels that you want to just sit in the back of the room and listen to you talk. We don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Not going to happen. Any other advice you would give a department that is considering a move to studio style? I have to admit, I, I I went on to rate my professor and looked up Scott and, and Justin just to see. <laughs> you know, it's not a valid way of doing right, so. yeah. job. And what I also found out is you guys are really good teachers, and 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 the common thread was empathy. Oh, really? Yeah, is that you listen to your students, you understand the students and what they're going through, and everything like that, and that's mm. huge. You know, we, we are multi-section. We have five sections in the spring and seven sections in the fall. There's variation and in, in scores and exams and stuff like that. And and variation in, in T-Vals amongst instructors are all teaching the same stuff in the same room. And it's empathy. It's how you present yourself to the students, how you're interacting with the students and answering their questions and all that stuff and, and connecting with them and understanding where they're coming from is huge, 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 huge. I, yeah, I think Ravi is 100% on point. I, I, the two things I would say is one, I, I would reemphasize what Ravi says. We don't put actually anybody teaching in that studio format that does not have that empathy or does not have that want or desire to help the student because it does take a little bit more work than your traditional, like, you know, offset lab here and so forth because it's a lot more hands-on. It's I don't want to say it's negotiating with the students to get them to do it, but again, you're prodding and pushing and challenging. And so we are very diligent in how we pick the people that are teaching it. Uh, the other mm. thing I would add is buy-in from the department. You know, if you're not doing this yet, you know, convincing them this is what we want to do so that they're supportive, they're giving the resources, they're not bad-mouthing or talking about it, like, you know, they're talking in an exciting way to the students. Uh, even when you're recruiting, you know, we talk about, hey, this is a really cool, you know, way that you're going to see biology when you come in. Uh, but I think buy-in is a massive mm. um, tool for success for the program. Yeah, I agree with all that. And thanks for bringing up uh, that uh, idea of empathy, Robbie, from the uh, Rate My Professor. I, I think, too, for the first, this is primarily first year students taking these courses, right? So you want to be really welcoming and, and introducing them to the university, introducing them to the major, uh, making sure they understand kind of how to succeed overall. You know, um, Derek, I just was listening to the beginning of the 
podcast that dropped today on um, the hidden curriculum. And uh, that's an idea, right, of how to get students to come to office hours and succeed, especially those low-income first-gen students. So I think that whoever's teaching these studio courses, again, primarily first-year students are in these courses, we need to be um, aware of these issues and helping out. And so of our team, you know, myself, Josh, and Susie, we're all teaching faculty. So these are our, this is our primary concern with teaching. Nikki's research faculty, but she cares a ton about teaching as well. So we make a really great team for, for Bio One mm-hmm. here to help students succeed no matter what the format. Um, the other piece of advice I would say is um, for a department thinking about this, before you put together a budget proposal, right, and drop it to your CFO for you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars for a retrofit or a new lab space. Think about what you actually need. Look at the literature on this, like we discussed earlier, and see if you can make use of what's already out there uh, and still document gains there. Um, I think having all the, you know, the fancy stuff, a new space would be amazing, especially it helps, you know, university presidents show off visibility. Look how we're we're committed to, you know, building our biology program or other courses. Um, But I think you can do a lot of the, uh, if not all of the the benefits from a you know more traditional setting, as long as you have the right people involved, the right structure for the mm-hmm. class, and you're really transparent with your about your students what you're trying to do. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, all three of you, for coming on the podcast. This has been really great. I've enjoyed getting to know your world a little bit, and have uh, hopefully you guys get to know each other's worlds as well. Um, thanks so much for being here and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. That was Scott Cheerhart, Professor and Chair of Biology at Centenary College, Robbie Baer, Senior Instructor in Biology at Kansas State University, and Justin Schaffer, Teaching Associate Professor in Chemical and Biological Engineering at the Colorado School of Mines. Thanks to all three of my guests for coordinating their schedules so we could have this conversation. My colleagues in the Biology Department at the University of Mississippi have started a project to shift their introductory course for non-majors to a studio style course, and I know they're very interested in what Scott, Robbie, and Justin had to share. And I really appreciated what they had to say about the role of empathy in student success in these critical introductory courses. We took a little detour near the end of our conversation into uh, our efforts at asking students to write down advice for succeeding in a course, advice that could be shared with future students. If that sounds interesting, you can find that bonus clip over on the Intentional Teaching Patreon. See the show notes for a link to that, as well as to more information about our guests, including Justin's paper on pre-class reading assignments. This episode of Intentional Teaching was produced and edited by me, Derek Bruff. See the show notes for links to my website, the sign-up form for the Intentional Teaching newsletter, which goes out most Thursdays, and my Patreon, which helps support the show. For just a few bucks a month, you get access to the occasional bonus episode, Patreon-only teaching resources, the archive of past newsletters, and a community of intentional educators to chat with. As always, thanks for listening.